Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. We welcome today to the show, Emily Graham. Emily is just one of those people that grabbed my heart. She is a hospice medical social worker. And as you'll hear about her story, it it was a mission for her to take on this role. And now she's starting to teach others how to be more aware of what is going on in their lives and how to help other people in a way. Stay tuned for the end when she mentions her task that she thinks is most meaningful to people. We hope you enjoy the show. Sit on back, grab your favorite beverage and enjoy. Well, welcome Emily Graham to Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. We are thrilled to have you as a guest. I've been really, really looking forward to this podcast recording because you do something that is so near and dear to my heart as a profession and so many people can learn from, I think, from you today. So, but before we get into that... I, I mentioned before we started recording that we usually start the, the show with our favorite wine tip, but you're not a wine drinker. Instead, you're going to offer your favorite beverage that's a little bit different, which I think is nice. We all have our different palates, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny to say that you can actually have a, a bubbly water preference, but I'm like a bubbly water wino. And so... I've, I've tried them all and um, absolutely, hands down, my most favorite bubbly water is a Perrier in the can. And, really? and it has to be ice cold and the taste, the bubbles, it's just perfection. But, you know, there's a whole slew of different types of bubbly water and that's, that's the one that sits well on my palate. Any particular flavor or just plain I'm Usually thinking. plain, but I, you know, now Perrier's gone out with a whole line of like, uh, you know, lime, lemon, all, all these different berries. And I sometimes do lemon or lime, but just the straight old, old fashioned. From regular. a can. Yes. <laughs> from, from the can. <laughs> I like that it's that specific. <laughs> we are actually exploring Italy this month. Um, la- let's see, last month was Germany. The month before that was France. And we, uh, in our household, were exploring uh, Italy this month. So Southern, Southern, yeah, I always have trouble with that. San Giovese is the uh, grape that we are exploring within our Finger Lakes region. There are several wineries that actually make that or make that type of wine, use that type of grape. What a lot of people don't know about that is that is the grape that's used in Chianti and Chianti is the region. So, but um we, there's a winery called McGregor's and the Finger Lakes of New York that actually uh, is, is making a straight Sangiovese wine. And so that will be our wine this week that we are drinking. And we're very excited to, to uh, pop that cork and enjoy it each night. So we'll say cheers to the bubbly water. Cheers. <laughs> and what a cool way to explore the world through, <laughs> through the, the palate and yeah. the way you, you describe how 
you're approaching it, you're learning about these different areas. I think that's just so fun. Well, we can't so travel fun. anywhere, so we might, know. Well, <laughs> we might as well travel through our mouths. Exactly. <laughs> and we try to pair it. The, the fun thing, I think, for Brent and I is that we're not only trying to pair it, like, read, like look at the regions and the countries, but we're trying to pair the food with the, the wines that we're drinking as well. So... You know, when we're drinking wines from Italy, we're looking for Italian foods and authentic Italian. So our local grocery store, Wegmans, and um, it's from upstate New York, they have some of the the best authentic um, foods that you can actually purchase. So when you're pairing the foods with the wines, you actually have the, the chance to to say, okay, if I was in Italy, like I would be eating this. Mm. And it, it makes it fun for us because we wouldn't necessarily, we'd be very boring eaters. We wouldn't, <laughs> we would just eat the same thing. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when we have to go look for something like, Oh, this would be from Italy. This is what they would eat with their meals. Then it, it does expand our palates a little bit too. So, and probably makes us want to go to those places when we can travel again even more. Yeah. <laughs> and what a fun hobby to do with somebody and, yeah. you know, just be creative in the kitchen. We have to all eat. Yeah. It's, life so, is about a journey, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned at the opening of the podcast that you, um, you have a very special job and, uh, um, you're a very special person. And the moment that I met you, I just felt like, and I, I think it goes with your job that you connect with people very quickly. So um, I also, I asked you to be on the podcast because a lot of people don't know how to plan for end of life. And it's not necessarily a subject that a lot of people are excited to talk about, but when they are experiencing that, they are thirsty for knowledge. Mm. We don't want to do anything wrong. We don't want to say anything wrong. We don't know what we're paralyzed by what to do. People don't teach us how to deal with that final stage of our journey here on earth. And special angels like you are put on this earth to, to guide us and to help us. So first, I want to say thank you very much for the work that you do. But the moment that I heard that that's what you do, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be such a, a nice benefit for people to be able to listen to a podcast to it? Maybe they're interested in pursuing a career like yours, but some for lack of a better word, tips that you might share with us that because you are experienced with so many people, you've seen so many things. There's things that I think that you could share with us that will make us better caregivers as well. So let's start with how did you choose the profession that you're in? What's your journey been or the formation of your vineyard as we say? Well, well, obviously, uh, I feel I feel so lucky to have met you, Amy, because I, uh, like you, felt an immediate uh, connection and was so happy for the transfer of um, just support that I through through your services and and I feel like I've known you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, it's an honor to be here, and I'm, I, I just really appreciate your um, enthusiasm around what it is I do. So. I am a, a licensed clinical social worker, and I work in the area of hospice and palliative care um, here in California, and have been doing it for about a decade. And um, if you want to talk about a party stopper, you know, <laughs> whenever I talk to people, I'm like, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a hospice social worker. And I get one of two reactions. A lot of people are like, oh, thank you so much. And then other people just kind of scurry away, like... And so I've learned over the years to just maybe not say that because there's, there's just so much that it's, it's not so scary, you know? Um, but my path was, uh, I, I actually, I, w- I would have to say this began as a young child. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I had the natural gifts of being considerate and talkative and inquisitive and, curious about bigger picture ideas and questions. And over the years, even before I got my license um, and went back to grad school, people would come to me like in real 
uh, difficult situations. A a lot of them were when somebody died and they'd call me up and say, oh, my dad died and I hadn't talked to them in five years and we'd have a conversation. And and then I noticed kind of a pattern of even the people that I, I befriended or that became part of my close circle, a lot of them had experienced real great losses early on in their lives, like siblings or parents or had been parts of accidents and um, just real, real trials. And uh, somehow those are the people that end up being in my, my world. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be a rock star for a living, (laughs) literally. And uh, that, that didn't pan out. You know, I I went down that road and then found myself uh, leaving LA and uh, regrouping and, um, and I, I went to work for a hospital in the mountains, small town, and there was a real big tragedy that occur- occurred on the mountain. Some people had fallen into some sort of like geothermal hole, and there was a lot of, I think there were three deaths, and they were descending into the hospital, and I got pulled in in the uh, crisis to support people. And after it was all said and done, the chief nurse officer was like, you are, this is you should go into social work. You're like, you're a natural at this. So hence, that's where it all began. I was, I was in my mid thirties when I went back to grad school. Um, but I became very clear about the kind of social worker I wanted to be. And it was specific to work in hospice and palliative care. Um, yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. I want to go, yeah. back, I want to go back to the rock star thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so you actually were in a band? I Well, I'm a singer, and uh, I, I've been in a couple bands, but not nothing solid. But I was in music school and for, for voice. And, um, you know, I... For whatever reason, it just the doors weren't opening in terms of the ease of the experience, and you know I was also a little older than everyone, and so I had a lot of insecurities around that, and um, and that wasn't that wasn't what my life's work was to be. Now, mind you, I'm I'm still I I'm still participating musically with people, and I tend to have artists and and musicians around me, and um, mm-hmm. continue to do songwriting stuff, but. As far as like purposeful life's work, that wasn't my calling. And that was, that was pretty clear. Um, and I kind of follow, I'm a person that follows my heart and I'll try things and fall. But, mm-hmm. you know, the things that flowed like this, it just flowed. And, um, and it was with some real intention too. When I graduated from my master's program and was looking for a job, I, I like I I advocated to get into hospice at this company I work for and I I I hounded the administrator for several months like I'm your person you want me and <laughs> finally they caved <laughs> and but, you know I mean going back to school so so taking that step forward going back to school in your mid 30s which is a similarity that you and I have I went back to grad school in in my 30s as well Mine was not a career change per se, but it was still going back to college and being the old girl in the class. Mm-hmm. When I was only in my thirties, it was like, wow, I'm, I'm actually half, you're actually half my age. Like mm-hmm. that was a real awakening moment for me. Totally. <laughs> but it's, it's different when you go to college, when you go to go back to college in your mid thirties or even late thirties, it's a very unique and uh, experience. And you definitely, at least I did had a very different focus. Like I was like a dog on a bone when I got back to school for, for my graduate degree and focused on my classes. Like I'm not saying I was a pretty good student when I went to college the first time, but man, I was, you were, I was going to get an A in every class. Like I was, I was very intense about it. Um, and I suspect you probably were the same way. Well, it, 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 you know, social workers foundation is advocacy and social justice. So that was a whole world that opened up to me of things I had not been aware of. So the two years which is, let's face it, two years is nothing 
in terms of the subject field and all the different things you could know about. But I think what, what I hung my hat on the most was the systems and the, the, the justice piece, which is part of my, part of my, uh, I would say high values or part of like my makeup is, oh, I've always been an advocate for those that, um, are underserved or have not been, you know, handed an easy deck of cards early on. Mm -hmm. And, um, for whatever reason, I, I have a ability to tap into the humanity of things and recognize, um, that circumstances and experiences and all of that doesn't necessarily set us all up the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And that is actually, no, that's actually a very good point. Um, that that's about what life's journey is about. Right. So what I learned from something you might learn something different from, right. Mm -hmm. So, so bring us forward to the fact that you were, you went back to grad school. Now you're, you're getting close and you're advocating to be in this palliative hospice focus, which like I just think about that job. And one of the first things that I said was, Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do. Because Mm -hmm. the reason that I said it was so personal to me is because when my father-in-law was ill, hospice was there for us. And although it was a very short period of time that we utilized those service, it wasn't actually prior to his death that we needed their help as much as it was after. They were extremely helpful before. They told us all the stuff that we needed to do. They gave us some guidance and education. But it was after that, because when you're in that, at least for me, I'll talk about it from my perspective. When we were in that moment, when we were in the caregiving mode, when we were in the final stages of my father in law's um, last journey of life, um, we were working. We were working the problem. We were dealing with it. We were coping with it. We were working it. We were distracted by it, to be honest. But when he passed, it was like, well, now what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all the emotion that we were being distracted by with his caregiving was then there. Mm -hmm. And in the state of New York, if you have a death at home and you aren't under hospice, you know, you've got to have somebody come in and do an investigation and all of those sort of things. Well, when he passed because he was under hospice, we were able to just get the undertaker and, you know, the hospice nurse came and all of that got taken care of without a bigger hoopla yeah. Than was needed. I mean, they were there and it felt like seconds from the moment that we called them. And because he was, um, he did, we did have some controlled substance in the house. You know, they knew what to do with all that stuff. They just, they just knew. Yeah. And then again, it was afterwards that they were just, um, they guided us through that, that emotional process. And that's why it's so, to me, so personal when somebody says that. Like if you, if I was at a party with you and you told me you were that kind of work, like you and I would have this very deep conversation, (laughs) you know, we'd be in the corner all by ourselves (laughs) and just about the work that you do, because it's just so meaningful. So you've got the job, Mm -hmm. you got, you got the direction that you wanted to go. You got the job. You've been doing it for, you said about a decade at this Mm -hmm. stage of the game. Um, What are some of the things that you want people to know uh, and, and getting the services earlier, number one, mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. what they should be expecting, why, I mean, I could sell it to anybody that asked yeah. about it, but, but from your angle, why should they be reaching out to this and what you can do to help the family? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate all those questions. And I, I want to just first say that not everyone Obviously, there's a, a lot of different ways people uh, people's lives end, and not everyone ends in illness. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's lots of people live into their 80s and 90s, and and naturally, you know, exit Earth is what I want to say, mm-hmm. or or die. Um, 
But for those for those people that get diagnosed with something that has a, a like a prognosis, a terminal mm-hmm. prognosis, um, the thing I would want people to know is you do not have to navigate that whole process alone because if 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 people get what people should know is that it's a 6 months or less prognosis that brings people onto hospice mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be 3 days out you could have support through for six months, and and it, you know, a lot of times uh, with the support of the hospice team, with the management of people's symptoms of either pain or anxiety or distress or any of the different things that can be going on for someone, um, to have a team of people—a nurse, a doctor, a social worker, a chaplain, a volunteer, um, a bath aide—through that period, walking along the journey with you. If they're doing it right, educating you about what's occurring and what's normal in the the, the end of life process, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can quell some of your own fears and anxieties around either mm-hmm. being a caregiver or a loved one, um, you know, just anticipatory grief, having the social worker and the chaplain uh, available to talk through your own feelings and fears and just, you know, when you love someone, seeing them go through something of the amount of like helplessness people feel. And, and then there's also practical stuff that people need to be brought to their attention when it comes to their finances Mm -hmm. to, to, um, getting, having, and this is another thing I know you asked about, like, what would you want people to know? It's like, if you can have conversations with the people in your life that you love about the, the, the things they would and wouldn't want to go through if they got a serious illness and you get an advanced directive in place, um, the burden of that kind of decision-making on your loved ones is actually eliminated because you know that you're carrying out the wishes of your loved one's decision for themselves. And so having a conversation when everyone's well, you know, is, is really empowering. It's empowering. And you're not, you know, we all, we all know that we, we don't live forever. (laughs) And, and while that's not something we all readily talk about, that is, that is a fact. And, So it's like, why not be in a position to set yourself up to not stress your loved ones about things and try and be as clear as possible and not every situation you can, you know, triage or plan for, but. Yeah, because I've actually, in my family, I've actually seen it the opposite way where when my grandmother passed away, her final wishes were very unclear. Mm-hmm. And it caused a lot of rift in the family between yes. what her final wishes, what some believed her final wishes were and what others believed her final wishes were. And you're dealing with, you know, you just like, you know, my aunts and uncles had just lost their mother. Yeah. And they're yeah. trying to honor her in a way that they believe she wanted to be honored. And this is the final thing that they can do for her. Right. And there were, literally arguments in the nursing or not the nursing the um uh, funeral home you know with the with the funeral director of what her final wishes were to the point that you know tempers flared and, oh yeah and yeah. you know you that's not the time that you want to pull the family apart that's the time you want to put the family together and it it just it created you know even when the final decision was made there was still that hostility um between you know, people's differing opinions, believing what she wanted and, and what she didn't. And so it, I, I couldn't underline if I, if, if you could underline, like, you know, the, the words more, I couldn't underline more. What you just said is to have those conversations because I'm sure in your position, you've been talking to family members about, you know, the same sort of stuff and trying to, to bring the family together um, and, it, and if, it, if you wait too long, 
then you're guessing. Yeah. And that never feels good. And then, and then in, in considering large families, um, differing relationships, differing opinions, uh, you know, it can get, it can get messy. And like you said, it can be, that's just sad at a point where, you know, you're grieving and, and, in in grief, you're, you're, people aren't, there's so much emotionality and like, and instability, you know, it's just like you're standing on earth in a different way in relationship to life and, um, to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have like a person leave a family, the whole system is affected. Mm -hmm. So if you can take care of the stuff that is the concrete stuff that, and money is emotional, Mm -hmm. uh, and big families, uh, you know, (laughs) but I'm, I'm like, if you can get the money, getting living trusts in place so things don't get held up in probate mm-hmm. and making sure, you know, beneficiaries are, are checked off and accounts, whoever's in charge of paying for things like people need to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it's certainly not like fun when I go to a house and I'm like, did you take care of your financial situation? Yeah. And yeah. you need to talk to someone. And, but and, yeah, and, cool. and, and I was going to ask the question even too around the um, the decisions around. So let's say, okay, let's say you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, right? And some people say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to try to fight this to the maximum. Like even though it, I've been told it's terminal, I'm gonna try every sort of treatment that's possible there's consequences to that. Right. Yeah. And then there's consequences to the, okay, I'm, you know, I'm such and such years old. I've lived a good life. I do not want to go through that. I just want pain management. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, each person's, each person on this planet has their own unique path. And what may be something that Amy could handle may not be something that Emily could handle. And, and we all have opinions about, you know, and feelings and all this stuff about what people should and shouldn't do. But I always look at like the soul's journey, that individual soul's journey here. And I trust it. And I, I have to, because those individual souls are, have been with themselves their whole life. And, mm-hmm. you know, m- more than anybody, we mm-hmm. are our own advocate. And um, so, you know, with regards to hospice is generally that you've come to a point of like, there's not any other interventions we have for you. And, you know, we would suggest you have this team called hospice to accompany you through comfort and quality Mm -hmm. of life for the remainder of time that you are here. Mm -hmm. Um, If people are still aggressively, you know, trying to eradicate a disease or will do anything possible, they'd probably be more appropriate for palliative care because there you're still going for interventions. But then, too, you may have a, a nurse, a doctor, a social worker to kind of be there as well, um, walking along that with you. Maybe they're working with your oncology team or, you know, cardiology or whatnot. But um, I guess I just would want people to know that hospice, while that word is scary to people that like, oh, that means it's like death tomorrow, that isn't always the case. Sometimes having hospice helps provide the comfort and support for some quality of lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes, ex- it, a lot of times extends beyond six months because of the, the care and support that they have in providing a really beautiful period of time to be with the people you love and have conversations you want to have mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I feel sad when people wait so long to have that available to them because it can actually help it make it make it feel uh, more ease along mm-hmm. the journey mm-hmm. um, and not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think that's a big point of, of the, the that I want people to take away from is that they don't have to be alone because it is um, 
a very stressful period of time in your own life uh, if you've got a family member that is going through that. And so to have somebody that's an expert uh, to be able to guide you and, and, and talk you through it. And there's all sorts of emotion that comes with that. I mean, there's just, I, I, I can't even begin to explain. My husband was a primary caregiver for my father-in-law and the, um, he's a quiet man, but you know, I would, I watched his energy level um, during that period of time and, and his stress level because getting his dad to appointments was one thing, but also supporting his mother during that period of time was another. And, uh, you know, when we, when we did, when we, when we were referred to hospice, it sort of took a little burden off from him. Mm-hmm. He loves it when I talk about him, by the way. <laughs> well, and he, 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 he had taken on, you know, when you take on the role of caregiver as a family member, you're, you're basically wearing two hats. And so to have, you know, professionals that, that can help you understand that, to regulate your energy and to remind you to eat and to rest and um, take a walk and, you know, take some moments for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, those all seem like common sense, but when you're caregiving, um, it's a whole different world. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, and there, you're trying to navigate your relationship and then you're trying to like encourage someone to do something. (laughs) And, you know, um, so I, 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 I can't stress enough the, the, um, just partnership you would have with, with hospice or palliative care mm-hmm. and, and, and people deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's good like check, like I would say checklist. I love mm-hmm. checklists as a person, but there's, you know, there are some checklist type items when you're working with somebody like yourself that you can walk people through that kind of give them a little bit more control of the situation as a control, you know, self-professed control freak. (laughs) I want to know what should I be doing? When should I be doing it? You know, what are the things that I'm forgetting? Like that's, that's what kind of goes through. And that's why people hire me, right. As a financial planner, they want to know what should I be doing? You know, what are the things I'm not doing that I don't even know I should be doing and how do I get, you know, to that next level. And it's the same, when I look at it, it's the same thing when we t- start talking about those like end of care planning or um, palliative care plan, you know, all of that, it's there working with people like you does, does help with those kinds of items and um, the resources. Like I am always like, what are the resources I should be reading or, you know, where should I get more knowledge? And, and, you know, the one thing that we did, in my opinion, at least initially wrong, was when he was first diagnosed, we used Google as a resource. Mm-hmm. Horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, it gave us some information about the diagnosis that he had, but it also, um, you know, probably gave, it freaked us out at the same time. Sure. You know, because sure. we should have been paying attention, like, ultimately what happened was we started talking to the doctors about his, my father-in-law's journey, not like the averages and, you know, right. Because everybody, what creates the average is all of these different situations that are, you know, blended together. Right. And so once we finally got our heads around the fact that we needed to be asking questions about his situation, not the general situation, then it was a little bit, we were able to narrow down and, and ask the professionals, well, where should we read more about this? Or should we know more about this? Or, you know, what should we expect from this? Like when he started the chemo and radiation treatments, like what should we be watching for? And how do we help him? When we started actually talking to the professionals versus Google doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Then it did, it did help us a lot. And it gave us some guidelines that we should be looking for, uh, through, throughout the rest of his care. Now you do some teaching on this particular topic as well. That's a special gift that you also have. Tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah. And I just, I just want to finish that last point by saying that again, I'll bring it back to, um, each individual soul's journey here. And I, 
information and statistics and prognosis and all of that stuff is super helpful. And what I do is I'm looking at the individual and their, their life force, which mm-hmm. encompasses many things, not just the diagnosis, but you know, their mental, physical, spiritual, emotional bodies mm-hmm. in making them a whole person. And, um, and I, that's why I say I trust that, that person's journey, like the connection with, with the patient and or the family and the caregivers is really, I'm new all at this all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I may have been done this for 10 years, but each person, each family I meet is, it's an inquisition and an, and a, a learning all the time because I'm learning about them. And you brought that up with your, when you guys came to the point of what did your father-in-law need? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just puts a different lens on where to put your attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer that next question, well, I also have a master's in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing and facilitation, uh, facilitating um, programs of, of inner knowing and understanding. So I'm really, that, that program really, I would say, launched me in a way that helped me relate to the human um, and have approaches in relating to others. Um, even though these were my natural gifts, I believe like I'm always learning. And, um, I was really, uh, changed profoundly myself going through the program, surprisingly. Um, but I really wanted to share what I learned uh, and wanted to bring it to the nurses and doctors at um, the company I work for, which I have been doing. And it's really about um, skills and tools to help you better understand your own inner world relationship in relationship to your outer world experiences. Um, and, and I mentioned the soul. I, I believe that we each, you know, individually here have a unique experience with, we're all here learning different things mm-hmm. with our own special curriculum mm-hmm. where we're like, wait, I, uh, this is Groundhog Day. Yep. You're still <laughs> learning about that thing. And, uh, so this, this, um, this approach in spiritual psychology really helped me to, um, really address things inwardly and, uh, and then be able to come from a a place of freshness with others without projecting all of the stuff I have to deal with on others. Um, and hopefully by having a better understanding of your own relationship to life and yourself and others, then it can decrease stress. It can decrease, um, you know, worry and depression Mm -hmm. and increase, you know, energy and, and make your relationships better and have some joy, peace, uh, in, in certain circumstances that may not be optimal. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been working on is on, in addition to the, the work I do in a work week. So, so you're taking that outside your your normal job, I call it. Um, your your what, what pays the bills, and this is this is something that you're doing beyond that um, to help others in their own journey as well. And so, I think you're offering. Are you still offering some online classes for this as well? Not. I'm, I'm working, you know, I was offering in person to the nurses and doctors and then the pandemic hit. And so I'm in a, I'm in a kind of a re, I've got some sorting to do as far as my offerings. And I'm really excited. I, I do believe there is a niche in offering this, this stuff to people. Um, not, not quite there yet, but, um, you know, it's kind of like, as what did they say when, uh, the student appears, the, or the teacher, 
what's that saying? I always get sayings wrong. When the student <laughs> appears, the teacher shows up or whatnot. It's like when the, when the issue arises, I'll be there. I, yeah. I'll meet it. And I'm finding doors open and things happen when they're supposed to. So, uh, well, And I don't think what you're doing on that level is meant to be just for doctors and nurses. And that, no. Because I think that there's a lot of fields that are um, – people interaction type fields, like I'll say, for example, financial planners, you know, we're dealing with all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, the, the, the five people that I talked to today are all going through different journeys in their lives and have different energies that are happening in their lives. And so, you know, I'm shifting gears every single time I talk to a different person and trying to get that, like you said, trying to understand what's what's surrounding that person and what's driving that person, you know, we, it was not, that was not in the CFP books. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And that you have your own experience inwardly that is yeah. also expressed outwardly and that you yeah. can project all kinds of things on people. Right. And, but if you have a sense of your own self, I always think the greatest home is inside. And I, I always think that, the greatest service people can give to themselves is really understanding themselves in relationship to these hard subjects. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. What do you think? What are you afraid of? You know, and first start with yourself. Mm-hmm. And then once you have a better sense of yourself, you know how to support yourself. You know, maybe what you need as grown ups, we can get that for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and then we're not going out there disappointed that things aren't mm-hmm. being handed to us. We can, mm-hmm. we can, we, we got ourselves mm-hmm. and because life is full of just all kinds of hard knocks. I mean, we're all the whole world. I mean, with where we are in the United States right now, you know, it's just like one thing after another, Yeah, you know? It, and it, if you, if you have home inside, then it doesn't matter what's going on out there. You know you got you. And that's really what my work uh, outside of hospice is um, geared towards. Um, and if you can do that, then you can help others do that, right? 100%. So, so that's where I say like all kinds of service professionals, I think, can benefit from that work that you're doing because ultimately if we can, if we can be aware of ourselves and know what's going on, then, then we have the space to go out there and ask others that question and sort of build that. Right. So, yeah. so we often ask the, the question, you know, well, what, what I try to ask it differently than I used to. I used to say, well, what are your goals? You know, like what kind of goals do you have? And, you know, now I'm like, well, you know, what makes you happy? Like, what's your priority? Um, what if, if money wasn't a barrier, let's take that off the table. Like, what would your life look like? What would you change? And often it's not huge changes. It might be more travel or it might be, you know, by house or something like that. But they aren't things that are so different than what they're doing necessarily. Um, it's It's more... I, I would want to do more of this, like this one thing, but that's, you know, so, so let's figure out how to do that. <laughs> you know, let's, what do, where do we need to shift some of your resources so that you can do more of that? And that might mean less of something else, but gosh, if you're doing more of what you love and you're willing to do less of something that you don't love. Right. So, right. so, but I think that, you know, get, again, knowing, like you said, knowing your home can help others find their home. And, um, and that's really important work. So I can't wait to see where that goes in the future. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch too. Uh, oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, to speak to that point, you know, it really, people could not even, the goal line stuff in life about jobs and families and houses and a- acquisitions and mm-hmm. goals and whatnot. How many times do you meet people that they achieve something they don't even celebrate? And where's, where's the joy? Where, where is the joy? And then it's like on to the next. And what I'm, what, what's suggested through the lens of spiritual psychology is there's actually a soul line, which has to do with how you relate to yourself as you move through life and how you relate to yourself as you move through issues. That's, that's more of the issue. Mm -hmm. And as we resolve any of the blocks and barriers Mm -hmm. to really the essential nature of what we are, which is essentially loving beings, 
if you can t- just strip away those barriers and constructs and reside in there as you achieve or if you fail, yeah. joy is still available. Yeah. And, um, and those, those, those achievements and those failures actually serve as, as building blocks for, for learning and growing here. Um, that is so interesting because I'm one of those people that you just mentioned. Like if I achieve something like a really big, um, whatever it is, you know, something I've been planning for or, you know, goal that I set many years ago or six months ago or something like that. If I achieve that, I might celebrate for about two seconds. Like, right. That was great. Glass of wine. <laughs> Good to go. Cheers. And then the next morning I'm up and I'm working on the very next thing. Or, you know, often I have simultaneous like projects going at the same time, you know, same time. I don't, and I know that about myself and I've tried to get a little bit better at it, but you know, people, people on our team laugh about it because they're like, yeah, she'll celebrate like for two hours. You know, that's why I say two seconds, you know, it's, it's a good thing in a way because it's always driving me forward. But, you know, and, and the opposite side of things, it's like, gee, you know, there's been some things that I should really, really celebrate. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that didn't happen overnight. That was months or years of working yes. towards that particular goal. And so um, trying to personally get better at that particular. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and uh, being aware of it, I, I relate to you, Amy. I, I'm a, I'm right up there with the, Oh, did that. Okay. Next. Yeah. You know, yep. but it's exciting in, in the seat of our essential nature. It's all good. Yeah. It's all perfect. And, and, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I can't wait to see where that goes, honestly, because like I said, I think more and more people need to, Bring that in. I think as whether it's a nurse or a doctor or a financial planner or attorney or accountant or whatever, any of us that are in the service profession, the more we get training on stuff like this, the better we're going to be in interacting with our clients. So I can't wait to see where that goes in the future. So I have held you hostage. Oh my God, I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) As you can tell, I can't shut up. I love it. And and I'm so excited, um, you know, that you took the time to be on our show. I have two sort of final questions. One is, you know, with especially leading uh, or on the back of the last statement that you, you just made, what is your definition of success? Well, every, every, Every day that I have a crossroads with someone and I make connection with them, that's success to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I get to experience that today with you. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just so, so grateful to you. Um, and that truly is my definition of success because mm-hmm. we're all just moving about this planet and there's lots of us. And each encounter has, has value and meaning. And you don't know what you're doing for somebody else by just talking to them and, and they don't know what you're, they're doing for you. But presence and connection and real, really seeing people, that is such a gift. Um, you are such a special person. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Um, and, and the final question that we, we always ask our guests, we call it our Nourish Your Vine section of the podcast. Uh, we take just a, a minute or two uh, for each of our guests to provide the number one financial lesson that they, they learned. It's sort of the dime side of wine and dime um, that they've learned in their lives that they'd like to share with the audience. That it actually needs attention. Oh my gosh, what a great statement. <laughs> You know, it's like we put it, we put attention on, oh, I've got to do a health plan. And I've, and, and I would say financial, I've been, you know, pursuant of, of all kinds of different ways to support myself to be a better human. But finances needs the attention just as much as any other relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a cart and we sit in it. And so I would say that, I would say that this year I, I, brought my attention onto it and I'm really glad you know there's work to be done there's work to be done but 
then if you know what the work is to be done, then it, you're moving towards that. So, Well, Emily, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today and sharing your journey in the formation of what we you know, call the vineyard of Emily. Um, <laughs> you're such uh, an inspiration to people like me. I hope you know that. Um, I, I cannot say thank you enough for the work that you do. It's so, it's so meaningful. And I, I really sincerely look forward to the additional work that sort of on a, on a self, um, exploration side but you know one of the things that I often tell other students of of financial planning when they ask me if there's particular classes that they should pursue to be better financial planners when they get out of college I talk to them a lot about therapy and the skill set not to be therapists Mm -hmm. but learning how to listen and to some of the skills that therapists need to have because all that we learn as financial planners, nothing teaches us those kinds of quote unquote soft skills, but they're more than that. There's actually education to be had around being good listeners and knowing how to, knowing where the line is too. Like, you know, we are not licensed therapists. So if we see something, we need to, to stop that and say, okay, how do we get you help? Because, you know, we could make it worse if we try to, you know, um, but, but understanding where that line is and, and being able to reach out to people like you to say, okay, I need more training on this. I want to be a better human in the job that I'm in. So, so there's a, there's a, a piece of me that says, I can't wait to see what you do with that training piece that Mm -hmm. you are currently working sort of on the side at Mm -hmm. at in the future, because I I think there's so many of us that are in the service industry that just need your, your skill set. So I really am looking forward to that and want to say again, thank you so much for the time that you spent today to uh, take away from your normal life and and to share it all and to give people ideas around ways that they can Um, think about hospice think about palliative care and think about their own intuition and and spiritual lives so thank you again so much thank you amy and and bless you and all your listeners thanks for your Mm -hmm. time and that will about do it for today's episode of wine and dime you can contact amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.